Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of the most scintillating hours in finance radio. And uh, pumped to be here. Excited to be here. And uh, got a great show planned for you. Had to mix it up. There's just, mm, it's a good thing. So I like having these people close at hand. But based on what's going on, in markets and specifically what went on this week, altered the interview a little bit um, just because I think this situation, ba- basically the interview is going to be this. Um, ba- what What has transpired here in markets this week and what's been leading up to it is um, we are on the cusp of making a big pivot in our portfolios. And, uh, we were in the middle of a discussion about how to do that, how we want to do it. And I just kind of stopped and I thought, you know what, honestly, let's have this discussion on the interview. Uh, we've done that in the past where we've just had like a regular investment meeting that we usually have. And we've aired it before in, in, um, <clears throat> on the show, in the, in the, in the podcast, uh, and on the radio show quite, uh, no, no, no. We just aired it in the interview section. So it was just on the podcast. But one of the reasons we do that is I think it's a great way to give us insight into our thinking and, and our risk management process and how we do things. Um, I also, I don't know, I always find it intriguing to, I want to hear the way people think um, as opposed to them telling me what they think, if you know what I mean. I like to hear the process in action. It's kind of like I was looking at a property uh, recently with a real estate agent and, and I'm not shopping, but m- my wife and I, are, I'd like to have some land. So we're looking at a couple different properties and I'm standing there with one of the real estate agents and he's walking me through the, the map of the property, you know, and, uh, <clears throat> and showing me a lot of valuable stuff, giving me a lot of valuable information. But after a while I'm looking at him going, Hey, I just need to go see it. Okay. Because I, none of this, you know, I, 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 I don't want to hear you relay it to me. I need to see it, right? I'm looking at a map and a topographical map, which, you know, it, it gives you an idea of how much slope and stuff there is in the in the area. And it, it's got valuable information. But, you know, I'm not <laughs> in my job. I don't read a lot of topographical maps. And to really get context, right, I need to go see it. I kind of think the same is true, you know, on the interview side and, and having a, you know, hearing us rather than hearing us talk about a topic that we want to discuss and go back and forth and have an interview. I just think it's valuable sometimes is to, to walk the ground, right. Or to hear us walk the ground and just talk. So Chase and I are going to have that discussion about how we're going to pivot the the portfolio uh, and still ramp manage risk at the same time. And, and I think there's going to be a lot of good information in there. Uh, but I also think um, for people, it kind of gives you insight into, you know, different strategies and then, you know, that can be deployed to, to grow but still stay protected, right? Because we're all about risk management. So we're going after the growth, but there's always got to be a defensive layer built in for us. Um, and I just think it's a great insight into how we think. Um, and maybe you won't like how we think, right? But maybe you will. Uh, anyway, so that's kind of the thought behind it. So let's get into it. Market update. Okay. Uh, as we're sitting here today, main indexes. S&P, I think, is up like 0.8, uh, Dow's only up like 0.2. The market effect, if we go look at the under, underlying part of the market, the market is effectively flat on the day. It's not a great day. But you've got a big company, Meta, uh, Facebook, up 22% last I checked. It, it's got some sympathy rolling with it. NVIDIA up again, right? Um, surprise, surprise. Uh, but two completely different companies in two different s- scenarios, right? The action you're seeing in Meta... I think is very much warranted um, and I'm kicking myself on it. We own the stock, but I'll explain to you why. Uh, I'll explain to you why I'm kicking myself because I think it's another great learning. That's another thing we do on the show. If you're new to the show, when we make mistakes, I'm going to tell you. And the reason I'm going to tell you is because, um, well, first of all, I think it's funny when you listen to a lot of these finance guys that, um, that only talk about their wins and never make mistakes and just kind of mock everybody else. 
Um, I think it's a really bad business model. And the reason I think it's a really bad business, well, first of all, it's disingenuous. Second of all, I think it's a really bad business model because the people that you're attracting have completely unrealistic, unrealistic expectations. And the funny thing is, is I know, I don't personally know them well, but I know a lot of these guys that get on there that have really successful podcasts that are investors. What's hilarious is their performance is never as good as it sounds because all they talk about is the wins and not the losses. Well, I'm the opposite. I think that there is more, uh, I think that there is more value in the losses. I remember, you know, my coach and my father would tell me that my college football coach and my father would tell me that all the time growing up. You don't learn anything from the victories. The victories just confirm to you how smart you already are, right? The lessons are in the losses. The other thing is, and another reason why I share the stories of the losses is because I'm not looking for those clients. Um, I'm not looking for people that think I'm the one guy that's got it all figured out because I don't. I follow a process. We manage risk. And that process is ever evolving. Why? Because markets and people are ever evolving. And when you learn something new, you need to change. You need to adapt. You need to mold with it. Um, And quite honestly, it's also the clientele we're after. I'm after partners. Yeah, I'm, I'm, our turnovers, you know, we've got less client turnover than almost any firm I know of. Um, and I think one of the reasons is we, we communicate that way, right? Hey, here's what we got wrong. Here's how we hope to avoid it in the future. Um, so anyway, I, I, hopefully that'll, hopefully all these things will be informative and, um, yeah, I'm just a big believer of say it like it is. And if that doesn't get you clients and it doesn't get you clients, that's the way it is. But, um, you know, speak the truth and, and it resonates with people that care about it. So anyway, that's the, that's the thought. So let's, let's get into the, let's finish up the market update here. Um, it, you know, earnings were announced. Apple was very lack, lackluster. Revenue was finally up a little bit. So they stopped that horrible trend, but I think earnings were down. I'd have to check that anywhere. Very lackluster. That one's still a head scratcher. Great company. It's ridiculously overpriced. Um, especially they're not growing. Okay. They're not growing. And it seems to me like they're kind of pinning their growth hopes on this headset they're launching. The headset's going to be a bomb. I'm, I'm just telling you. Um, uh, now I don't really think I haven't read much about it, but I I'm sure the company knows that. I think what they're thinking is this is kind of our first salvo into that world, right? Hoping that maybe they, you know, they learn something, um, you know, they, they get their foot in the door. I, I kind of think that's where it is. Um, that's the way it sounds anyway, but I, I just, yeah, I, I, I just, I, at 15, 16, 17 times earnings, maybe a little more of that just cause they are so, so dominant. Sure. 30. I mean, just, I, I'm not going to do that. Well, let's pull on. I shouldn't say that. I was going to say, I'm not going to do that with my worst enemies number. It's not that bad of an investment. Um, you know, I just look in the tech world, right? Look at Meta, look at Google. I just sit there and I'm like, the, the, you know, Google's still growing at 12, 13% a year, something like that. Amazon's at 14, uh, uh, Microsoft's just to it. It's great company. I just, I can't touch that thing. I just think you'll get opportunities to buy a lower, hopefully. Um, yeah, Apple's just a different, different animal altogether. I, I just, you know, you've got no AI exposure at this point. Maybe they'll make some acquisitions. I don't know. I just, that's a, that's a funny one to me. Um, but I, I, I think that these companies specifically Google, Meta, Amazon, uh, who's the other one? Why am I blanking? Microsoft. Um, some people would want to throw NVIDIA in there, but they, 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 they're chip makers. I think they're doing things to diversify that income stream a little bit. Again, I haven't dug that into it just because to me, great company. I just, I will never invest in something like that. I, I and, and it's, and it, and it has nothing. People are like, well, that's because you missed out or, you know, a lot of NVIDIA fans out there. They, if you don't own it, you're just a big idiot. Um, and I think I've said this before. When, when something gets that expensive, especially something that big, uh, to me, it's just a black box. I, I have no idea what to do with it. I have no idea. Five years from now, uh, I guess it's possible today's price on NVIDIA could look cheap. Um, yeah, just not to me. I, and, and the reason why, just so you guys know, it isn't about, you know, everybody has an, when you get a company that large trading at that multiple 
going through what it's currently going through, there's no look through. Right? What is reality? What is the what is the appetite for these chips going to be going forward? No one knows. Right? I and so I understand why the price is where it is. Uh, and like I said, I just, I, you know what? I think the thing, easiest thing on a, on one like NVIDIA is just, I, I've got no viewpoint. I, again, it's just one of those that I throw out. I just, I would never invest in something like that just because I don't think, I don't even really think that's investing at this point. And it doesn't mean that you could be, that you're going to be wrong on NVIDIA. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be right on NVIDIA. Again, I, I just, I, I think that's placed in a bet. And that's okay if that's you just need to know what you're doing, right? Meaning you need to know your place placing a bet on Nvidia, you know. And if you want to play a company like Nvidia, I would sit there and say I'm going to be long Nvidia, and here's the point where if it falls below this point, I'm out. And, and why approach it with those kind of rules? Again, it's the valuation, guys. Nvidia could continue to be the dominant chip maker, and the stock could fall sixty percent. Just not saying it will. But what I'm saying is there's just no – Buffett and Munger talk about margin of safety. It's actually Ben Graham's brainchild. But a margin of safety, meaning if I own a company that is rock solid and fundamental, like some of the energy companies that we've owned and some of the tech companies we've owned at certain times, right? Um, you know, like let, 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 for instance, I think Google got down to where it was like trading at 17, 18 times earnings. I could be wrong, but to me – over a two to three year time horizon, based on what I know about a company like Google, that feels like a very, very low risk investment. Okay. Very, very low risk investment. And why do I say that? Because even if the revenue growth continues to slow down and it's not slowing right now, it's not as hot as it was five years ago, but even if the revenue continues to slow down, I know what their margins are. I know what their balance sheet looks like. And even if the stock gets hit, I, I, I don't need to worry about it because there's no fluff. Right. Meaning if the stock gets hit and it gets hammered, I'm going to be buying more. Why? Because I know what values there. When I go to flip over to something like NVIDIA, I just don't know what my bottom line is. I have no idea what kind of revenue base. I mean, think about it. Right? NVIDIA's revenue could go up 100 percent over the next two years from here. And it could go down 50. No, I, I think up 100 is probably more likely, but that's already baked into the stock. Somebody could invent a new chip. I, I just, there's, do you, you get what I, so there's so much future anticipation that if that future changes even a little bit, right, the price it makes on the, right, the, the moves it can make on the stock are, are wild, right? The impact, the negative impact it can have on the stock is just wild. So, the, you know, that's why it's just a no-go for me. Uh, like I said, Apple was underwhelming. Amazon was good. But like I said, mostly cloud. Tough part about that, it's not really telling you. I think the rest of the business kind of reflected what we've been saying, which is kind of have a, an economy in no man's land, right? Um, not going down, but not growing nearly as strong as people think. If people go, what about Meta? Again, you can't look at one company and, and make a one-off. Um, both of those are getting you know tailwinds from the whole AI and cloud push still, especially more on the Microsoft side of it, obviously. Um, but no, a great bounce back. And, and I'm going to explain the meta thing a little bit later. We're going to do that. Talk to you about one of the mistakes I've made. Uh, <clears throat> other interesting thing you've got, to, you, the data continues to come in. It, it's starting, it's starting to look a little more like we thought it would in the first quarter, meaning the last couple of weeks of data have been very mixed N not bad, not good, actually bad and good, just kind of 50, 50 really didn't give you much of a read. Um, data we've received this week has pretty much all been really good. Um, and, and that's kind of what we thought based off what happened in the fourth quarter last year. We talked a lot about that. So the data is hot. Uh, the wild thing is, um, again, keeping up with this market, you, you got the NAS. And again, one of the reasons if the net, if, if meta wouldn't have, you look at this tape today, if meta would not have had the type of earnings announcement it did yesterday, I, I think you're probably looking at a market that's flat to down. Almost certainly. Um, so you got to take that with a grain of salt. But watching the, the other thing that you're watching is that um, the animal spirits for the bubble type stocks, um, the stocks that that are almost all that cushion I was talking about, right? Where there's, 
where there's a little bit of reality and there's a ton of extrapolation, right? You got, you got a basement built on reality and you got 50 stories, right? Uh, uh, stacked up on nonsense. Those stocks are ripping today while rates are surging higher. This market continues to get weirder and weirder. Now, all of a sudden stocks love higher discount rates. Not really sure how that pencils. Um, and in normally, you know, take me back three or four years, I would be like going off talking about how this market's about to collapse because you're watching rates, you're watching rates surge and all the stocks who are hurt the worst by that unequivocally are just soaring right alongside rates. And it's that sympathy bit. Oh, Meta did well. So tech's going to look, this market's going to get dumber and dumber, but you're at these levels guys where you're talking, I think you're flirting with crash upwards here. And I am not telling you to get longer. I'm not because those things can be un- unbelievable, but they typically come back down just as fast. I, who knows, looking at this tape, where we go from here. But I, what I will say is that fundamentals are just going further and further into the rearview mirror on some things. And that's the tough thing about this market. Like I said, you could point to, oh, Meta's move. Meta should have never been down where it was, honestly. Um it was just too cheap when you looked at it compared to especially the other tech names. And people could be like, what are you talking about, Zach? It had a 38 price earnings. And I'll get into this more. But no, it didn't. It just, and I've tried to explain this before. You, this is why we can't just look at price to earnings ratios. right? It had one of those really bad quarters in there that was making its um, – and, and when they were spending big on the metaverse, it still had one of those quarters in the comps or, or in their PE ratio. In, in the way you calculated. So what you knew is that as soon as that quarter fell out and you replaced it with a, a normal positive earnings quarter, that PE ratio was going to come down drastically. Okay. So Meta had a great quarter. There's just nothing to take away from it. Um, just the rest of the market moves and sympathy. Why Meta's great quarter corresponds to NVIDIA being up five to 6% on the day. God help you. I don't know. How it corresponds to Google being down 0.6% on the day? God help you, I don't know. Um, and you're just seeing more and more of this. Why are all the companies that are the hurt the most by higher rates soaring today? God can only help you. Now, it's only the tech companies that get hurt by rates that are doing well. Everything else, right? Russell on a tape like today, the Russell 2000 is actually down. So interest rates hurt normal companies, but they don't hurt tech companies. Right. It's no, no, no. Those, those aren't eating sardines. They're trading sardines. So that game has continued going on. The, 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 the big one, the big boys, I get it. I mean, I still think they're stretched, but the big boys, I get it. The funny thing is watching these high flying growth companies with these ridiculous valuations whose growth rates are collapsing, by the way, not all of them. But and when I say collapsing, there's a lot of them are still pretty good. But, you know, you look at like Shopify, you know, it was a few years ago, Shopify was running at 65, 65% annual growth. You know, now they're like low 20s, which is still good, but not when you're burning a billion dollars of cash a year and you're valued at where you're valued at. You know, I, I, I don't really, I don't, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And it's just chaos out there, guys. I mean, you see a day like today where NASDAQ is up almost 2%, TLT, the 20-year treasury is down almost 25 um, you know, like Chase Taylor looked at me today and, and here's guys, here's the pernicious part about all this. If you put a gun to my head, I think we're going up. And I think the, the odds are that you could go up a lot. Please do not trade on that because here's why you shouldn't be. In my opinion, you shouldn't be. And like Chase Taylor looked at me this morning and he goes, this is, he goes, this is historic and it's getting more historic all the time. He goes, markets have just never done stuff like this. And I go, I know. Why is that scary? Because the longer this goes on, the more and more confidence gets built up. I think it's almost hard to have more confidence than you do right now in equities. I mean, it just thinks they can't go down. Um, but they haven't. And those people have been right. And you've just set up if you like he and I were talking about who knows if it plays out. But if you were going to ever set up a giant blow off top, think 1999 where the NASDAQ was up 100%. Think Japan in the late 80s when they got up to 110, 120 times earnings. I think that's the setup you got here. Um, And the reason I think doesn't really have a lot to do with fundamentals. I just think it has to do with investor 
a lot of things. I, I think it has to do with career risk, meaning if this breakout on tech holds out, every professional money manager in the world is going to have to pile in if they're not already. They did, you, they cannot underperform another tech run. And the reason I say that is because I, I, like, I feel that same pressure. Now, as always, we are going to do it in a risk-managed way. So the risk we will be running, and I will always embrace this risk. Right, what do you – and I've been saying it for years. When you're in, in – yeah, in most things in life, but when you're investing, it's especially true, and it's pretty binary. You're either risking you're – either, you're either risking underperformance or you're risking potentially catastrophic loss. You, you've got to embrace one of those risks. Right. So we will do it in our risk managed way. But like I was saying, I feel the same pressure too. You just, you know, you just can't keep fighting markets at some points. So we'll talk about that more as time as time comes on. And and what does all this come down to? Where are these hot GDP prints coming from? Look, I think a lot of the the action you're seeing in markets is just the same stuff, right? Um, investors feel bulletproof. You've got record involvement from retail. Um, and you got 15 years of no recession and 15 years of the longest bull market and biggest bull market of all time. And it looks like it's, it's continuing. Um, and so I think you've got like a lot of like risk management fatigue where your people are just like to hell with it, you know, pardon my language, but just to heck with it, throw in the, you throw in the towel, let's jump in and ride the thing too. And if it's like other periods of times that will probably work for a while. And it'll probably work really well. And then all of a sudden, something's going to change and it's going to come apart. And that's going to be the toughest part of this. That's going to be the toughest part of this. It, assuming that the way we're seeing this is correct. But on a technical basis, I mean, if we have any follow through next week and or we just hold these levels, I'll tell you what, it's a market you can't be short. I'll, I'll put that much. And it doesn't mean it can't go down. Markets can do anything. But if you're still trying to short this, stop, right? Stop. And, and why? Because it's so – because if you go – for instance, if you really want to short and you think this is still going to roll over, just do it after the indexes dive below their all-time highs. You're so close to it anyway. You're not really giving up anything, right? But if they just keep going higher, you're not going to get annihilated. So – but it's chaos out there, guys. You've got a market that doesn't think interest rates matter. You have a market that's still pricing in as many cuts as it was even though the Fed said no. Um, you have a market that's just believing its own stuff. So you can't fight it, right? What do you do? This is when it's so funny because people always think of it. Risk management is for when things are bad. Well, yeah, it comes in handy there. But risk management is also really helpful when things get good or in terms of prices going up. Why? Because you can participate in things like the, the, the tech run up, stuff that you know isn't going to last. I'm not talking about the big boys. They could keep going. They're they're reaching a point where they're almost gravity proof. Okay. I'm talking about all the, you know, it, it, part of risk management is knowing how to surf higher while still having downside protection, right? Like I've always told you guys, we say risk management and people think that's, yes, we're going to be conservative. We'll make less. Sometimes you'll make less, but the idea of risk management is to minimize losses, to make more, to take less risk with more upside potential, right? At lower fees. Does that sound good to you? Give us a call. 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach uncover the truth about the financial markets with simple and honest advice to help you plan for retirement. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. How many times in recent memory has your financial advisor not reacted to current events and also not made a change in your investment portfolio? Now, think about all the volatile events during that time that have threatened your retirement. That's Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Todd, we talk about it all the time. Risk management. It's our number one focus. We actively manage every portfolio daily, looking for opportunities to lower risk, lower cost, and give you as much upside as possible. 
Let us show you how Bulwark's risk management strategy can protect that retirement you've worked so hard for. This is exactly why you need Zach and Bulwark Capital in your corner. You only get one retirement. Learn how Bulwark does it with their free common sense investing guide. Call 866-779-RISK or simply go to knowyourriskradio.com. That's 866-779-RISK or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advisory services offered through Tech Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining, or excuse me, sticking with us. Okay, so we've talked about this blow-off. What's driving it? We've talked about investor sentiment. Uh, we've talked about the earnings from the from the big ones, not from the smaller guys that are rallying today with rates, which is funny to see. And just so you guys know, when I say it's funny to see, it's not me saying, oh, the market's stupid and I'm the only one that knows it. And I've t- long-time listeners know this, but when interest rates go up, interest rates are the basis for all things financial, right? It is the foundation of the financial industry, the foundation of the global financial system. When interest rates go up, when we can, when interest rates go up, we can make more money taking zero risk, owning sovereign debt. Okay. And people go zero. Ri-. Yeah. Zero risk. If you hold it to term. Okay. And if you went into 2022 or your advisor and money manager had you going in 2022, long duration, uh, so a bunch of long dated bonds, then you probably need to find a new money manager. Okay. Just that was probably one of the most obvious buzz saws to walk into. You know, Fed's like, hey, we're going to raise rates. Inflation's out of control. And these guys are like, I'm not selling my bonds. But anyway, what what's driving this? Um, we've talked about the investor sentiment, like I've said. We've talked about tech. We've talked about no recession and the biggest marketplace of all time and all that kind of stuff. But what's driving it? What's the source? And we've talked about this as well. But what is the source of this economic strength? And and how likely is it to continue? One of the reasons that we're prepared to roll with the cues is it's an election year. Okay. And um, now, look, you could be on either side of the political aisle. And and. In my opinion, this statement still rings true. You could be voting for Biden or voting for Trump. This statement still rings true. When you look up the makeup of the FOMC and the Treasury, especially the Treasury, because they are part of the Biden administration, um, I I think you got to be pretty naive to not think that the balance of those people involved in those institutions – probably really don't want a Trump presidency. And so I would, now those people are going to their credit. They're going to try to limit volatility in markets, uh, crazy things happening in markets during election years in general, which I think is actually admirable, meaning, you know, they don't want elections to be swung on some short-term financial hiccup or something like that, which makes sense. Um, but when I look at the activities of the Treasury and the Fed, and I hear what they're saying, um, in my opinion, it's really hard to, to it's it's really hard to take them at face value if you don't think there are any politics in their decisions. And what do I mean by that? I mean when when if you are as confident in the labor market and the economic growth that you are currently talking about. Um, if, if you're that confident in it, why are you still engaging in so many activities that are stimulating to the economy? People are like, well, the feds raise rates. Yes, but they, they, they plugged in a massive amount of net liquidity last year. What about the treasury? The treasury is doing everything it can to issue the type of bonds, not to resolve any of these debt issues, not to fix anything, but again, all about optics. They're trying to strategically issue bonds as delicately as they possibly can as to not splash the pot and make and 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 make rates go higher. Now, I, look, I, I don't expect them to not do that. I, I think that they'd probably be doing that. You know, any secretary or any treasury secretary would probably be doing that for any president at this moment. But what I'm saying is, I look, Take any big government institutions, they're not going to be Trump supporters. Okay, You're going to have some in there, but by and large. So I would expect the system to do whatever it can 
to make a Biden presidency look a more appetizing, more appealing. I would expect them to do everything they can to withhold uh, market volatility, prevent big job losses leading up to the election. Um, I would I would expect them to pull every trigger they can to make the economy look as good and strong as possible going into election. Okay, so that that's one thing. Then you add retail invest. You add that to all the other stuff that we're talking about. Okay. I don't want to be short that kind of market that that has all of that impetus going into it. Not not based on what we can see today. And then the other side of it, guys, is just the government spending. And and you know, we've been saying that going into this year. And I've said I expect a recession. I will say after today's data print, I, I feel less certain of that. I really do. Because it looks like we're reaccelerating at the moment. Now, again, I, I think we got to take every piece of data with a big grain of salt. And, and I don't want to, I don't want to beat this, this dead horse, but the data is so loud right now and it is so choppy. And there are so many conflicting things. This is the most confusing, complex economic picture I have ever read. I have ever looked at. I mean, you can take the data. Chase, I thought said something great on the dots yesterday. He goes, you can take data out there right now and make almost any case you want to and have it extraordinarily well backed up. That's almost all. There's an element of that in markets all the time, right? It's why there's, you know, it's why we always say certainty is the hallmark of the charlatan. If if you're certain, you're an idiot. Um, So there's an element of that in markets all the time. But this is just just nothing is really behaving the way it should. Correlations have break broken down, and people are like, "What do you mean?" Well, when you manage money, you look at all kinds of right. It's so many different data points, and you can look at one or two, and they can give you incredibly false readings, right? So what you get used to seeing is, "Hey, well, if this is really happening, we should also see this, this, and this." And then you go check, and you're like, "Oh, okay, that lines up, perfect." Okay, so. We're not sure, but this is this is all the things that should be happening if this thesis is correct. Nowadays, you look at you can see the thesis playing out, and you see none of the supporting factors in play, or the inverse. You could see all the supporting factors in play, and the thesis isn't playing out, right? Like interest rates skyrocketing and uh, small, really expensive tech stocks moonshotting on the same day. There's nobody in this business that would place that bet. So I think the other thing that's happening is because of so much passive investing, the proliferation of ETFs, the proliferation of high-frequency trading, the proliferation of computer-based trading and quant trading, I think the market has become increasingly systematic and mechanical and far less fundamental, meaning all of those momentum and, and trend following and computer and algorithmic trading, they, they all trade on correlations in one way or another, right? Meaning when this happens, this we need to do this. Or when this, this, and this happens, we need to do this, right? Correlations. And what's interesting to note is that all of those trend following things – our momentum portfolio actually did better than the universe by big by by significant amount last year. Um, good work for Marcos and his and his and his and his momentum portfolio for us. And uh, but it's it's weird, isn't it? In a year like last year, where the market just went straight up all year, you'd expect God the momentum stuff would have killed it. It didn't because all of it wasn't getting momentum indicators. And and that's kind of and that happens from time to time. That's not a one off. But um, you know, it happens. Everything happens in markets. But another emblematic of just how strange this environment is. And but that other big factor, and and this should be a lesson for everybody. Like when you look around and look at all the economic problems, look at all of the things that that typically would you would need to be feeding into the economy to get growth like this. Right? You tell me you're in an environment if the growth rate is real. I still think it's overstated. I'm not changing my key, but you know, think about that. You know, you had a really strong jobs report today, really strong. And think about that in light of all the problems in commercial real estate, residential real estate, people like the home builders doing new homes are selling at a, a pace they haven't sold for in like 30 years. Okay. Think about that. So that isn't an inflow source. Automobile sales are slowing down, right? You look at all these different things 
And you're like, where is that strength coming from? 2.1 trillion deficit spending, guys. 2.1 trillion dollars in deficit spending. Or six, seven percent of our entire economy. It's a lot of dough. That's a lot of dough. Now, does that mean that that's going to last forever? No. The other thing I think we've underestimated, I, I think I certainly have, is the Social Security bump, right? Last year alone, I think Social Security, you had the 10% bump, but you had that normal bump baked into it. So I, I could be wrong, but you were up 10 to 12% on Social Security. You know, go add that up. I mean, think about that, right? I mean, what, what is average Social Security payments? Probably around, if you averaged it, of all the people that are taking, my guess would be probably between, you know, 25 to 2,700 a month, maybe. Maybe lower than that. But, you know, let's say, you, what do you got, 60, 70 million people in this country on Social Security? That might be too high. But let's say you got 70 million people on Social Security, okay? And let's say each of those people, 70 million people, get an extra $2,500 to $3,000 a year. You know, what's 70 million, what's 70 million by 3,000? I don't know, but it's a lot. <laughs> I can't do that big of math in my head that quick, but it's a lot, right? The government spending. And then remember those people, the baby boomers, the ones who are getting social security, they've also got their stock portfolios at all time highs. Right? That's a lot of people. What do you, baby boomers, 70, 75 million people. So maybe you even have more than that on social security. I guess it's possible because you got people that are on social security still that aren't baby boomers be an interesting number to look at, but, uh, government spending. And then you add on to that, the, um, <laughs> oh, I still love saying it. The inflation reduction act, the flamethrower that we're going to use to put out inflation, the fire of inflation. Um, we're going to spend a trillion dollars to slow inflation down. I just love that. That's so Biden-esque. And again, I'm not making a political statement. I'm just saying like, that was as bad to me. That was as bad as the Obamacare line. Again, it doesn't. It shouldn't matter if you're uh, all three. You know, it kind of reminds me of Dan Quayle's gaffes, right? So remember some of the or 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 Bush's nuclear. Um. Anyway, he took a lot of flack for that, and I guess you can actually say I think Webster's recognizes it now for some reason. Anyway, that's a random factoid of the day, but. Uh, no, it it, it 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 the the inflation reduction act, right? We got we got to spend a trillion to slow this thing down, right? Um anyway, it, it just classic. Oh, the Nancy Pelosi, we got to pass it before you find out what's inside it. And it's not just from one aisle. I just the most ridiculous idiotic stuff comes out of government. You just have to love it. So anyway, um but that's I mean that's it. And and I will tell you, I for those of you that are betwixt or flummoxed or, or scratching your head going, this is crazy. It is crazy. It's just so weird to see an economy posting though. And I still don't buy all the growth numbers. Like Chase has said, I think the growth will get, will get uh, revised down over, over the longer term. Um, but it is, it, it's a weird environment because you say, oh yeah, it's growing. You're growing at four, four and a half percent. Da, da. You're like, oh great. Well, that would mean that this is going away. You look, and you go, no, they're not doing well. You just never seen anything like it guys. And these are exactly the times why we that, that we rely on risk management because there's times where you're flying blind. And just because we're flying blind, that plane still has to land. All right? And we got to make sure we know it's going to land. And we got to make sure we get on the ground in one piece no matter what. And we can do that. It's risk management. We can ride this wave and make sure that we don't have a retirement damaging or retirement killing threat underneath. And then here's the other thing, guys, you also can't afford to be really stubborn here because we got to in, in an environment this crazy. You got to, you got to, you got to entertain everything. Nobody knows for sure. Yeah, none of us been here. How long can printing, how long can printed money fix all our problems? I don't know. Nobody does. Now, what we do know is that when it ceases fixing our problems, it won't be gradually. It'll be suddenly. That's the way these things work. That's the way con games work. And when I say con games, I mean confidence games, right? Which is what currencies are. When you have a fiat currency, which is virtually all the currencies in the world, what backs them is confidence. The dollar is the same way. Now, the dollar is more entrenched because it's a world reserve currency, but it's the world reserve currency because despite what everybody tells you, 
there's still confidence in it, especially when you compare it to other currencies. But that's kind of like a market like this, an economy like this, where you see all of this debt, you see all of these things that fundamentally, that under the surface, structurally are not healthy, right? You will have to pay the piper someday. But as I think we're learning year after year after year, that piper's a lot more patient than a lot of people think. At least he's surprised me. I, I, I continue to be amazed that they've been able to kick this can over and over and over. But it makes sense. Until the currencies break, you can just keep paper and overthink with money. It really, I mean, it, and, and we've been saying this for years and it's still, you know, even I have been hesitant to accept it because it flies in the face of everything we know economically. But if you're one of those people out there still resisting it, I, to me, you're not keeping up on current events. Okay, if you live in a dollar-denominated system and the Federal Reserve can print ad infinitum with no limit without collapsing that – look at the dollar index today. You're at 104 still. It's not even blinking. The dollar is strong right now. Not super strong, but it's strong with all this. And, and this, this is my point. I don't understand how you can see all of that and not think that you need a net underneath you. You know what I mean? Like, so if you're listening to me speaking right now and you're like, yeah, no, he's right. Then what are you doing in an unhedged portfolio? Wake up guys. And this is the thing that look, and I don't say this just trying to drive business to us. I say it because it's you. If you're hearing this and you're like, yeah, I agree. This is crazy. This is blowing my mind. Then what are you doing on both ends? Because guys, if you're going Buzz Lightyear here, if this is infinity and beyond, we're just cutting the cutting the tether and saying, hey, fundamentals don't matter anymore, baby. It's too good. We're going. And that looks like what's happening. You need to go up with it. Why? Because the only way you protect yourself against inflation is growing your assets. But with all this other craziness, you better do it with the net underneath you. You better do it with a contingency plan. You better do it with a portfolio that can flip defensive really quick. Because, I mean, look, if we are going into a 99 or a blast off Japanese part of it, nobody ever talks about the next part. Go look at what the NASDAQ did over the next two to three years. And again, I'm not saying I think it's going to do that. I don't think it will. But if it goes up, if it doubles from here, it could do that. Go look at the Nikkei. Japanese stock market, 1989, hits its record high of 39,040. It gets down into the low single, I, what did it get down to? Five, 6,000, 4,000? Lost like 85% of its value and didn't recover it. Still hasn't recovered it 35 years later. Again, doesn't mean that that's necessarily going to happen here. But what I'm saying is, when you see these periods of times where stocks keep going up and it gets more and more violent, and more and more hyperbolic and makes less and less financial sense. And that's one of the reasons I think you can go up, up a lot from here. As expensive as those stocks are at, could I see Facebook and Amazon trading at 50, 60 times earnings? Sure. You know how it'll get justified? Well, they keep growing earnings in recession. How many, how many companies do that? And, and you can see that playing out. Why, why should we pay 50 times earnings? Because they keep growing their revenues at 12 to 14% a year despite recessions. You got to own them. Right? So we're not, at, we're not at those levels yet, but you can see them from here. I, I can hear the rationalization. So that's the tricky part. You know, people go, you know, Zach, what do you think markets can do? And I'll give my opinion, but but it should always be belied that nobody knows, including me. But you know what we do know? We know how to protect if it goes down. You know what else we know? We know how you can participate it while it goes up without taking too much risk. Isn't that what you need? And we know how to do that, by the way, with far less risk and far less cost. If that interests you, which it should, give us a call. 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com or capitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. We're going to give our last segment. Tie it up here. Nice and neat. Finish her up. And I'm going to tell you that story I was telling you about my mistake. It's a great marketing tool, right? Here's this trade I botched. Here's the trade I booted. 
Here's how I screwed up and didn't make my clients as much as I should have. But we're going to talk about it because that's where you learn. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Do better in bull markets. Do better in bear markets. Pay less fees in all markets. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. You can subscribe to Zach's free newsletter, The Bulwark Insider Report, at knowyourriskradio.com. How many times in recent memory has your financial advisor not reacted to current events and also not made a change in your investment portfolio? Now, think about all the volatile events during that time that have threatened your retirement. That's Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Todd, we talk about it all the time. Risk management. It's our number one focus. We actively manage every portfolio daily, looking for opportunities to lower risk, lower cost, and give you as much upside as possible. Let us show you how Bulwark's risk management strategy can protect that retirement you've worked so hard for. This is exactly why you need Zach and Bulwark Capital in your corner. You only get one retirement. Learn how Bulwark does it with their free common sense investing guide. Call 866-779-RISK or simply go to knowyourriskradio.com. That's 866-779-RISK or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advisory services offered through Tech Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you for sticking with us through the break. All right, so I should I should this I should call this like my marketing minute. <laughs> it's like I said, uh, it's it's a great way to. It's a great way to advertise your investing prowess and services by telling people something you screwed up. Uh, But one of the things I have learned in life, and it's especially true in investing, uh, you know the old adage, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the the mouth, the the famous Mike Tyson line. You know one of the things I've learned about that? It doesn't mean you shouldn't have a plan. Okay. And here's, and here's, and I've learned this multiple ways, especially in investing. That the best time to formulate a plan are in moments of quiet or clarity, right? Get rid of the noise. Uh, one of the things I like to do is get away somewhere with the guys that I work with where we can get out of the normal environment and, and, get quiet and unconnected from our phones and just be able to think and throw ideas back and forth. Right. And cause you need that quiet to develop those, you know, quiet mind. Right. And, um, and, and you need a plan. You need, you need to go in, you're going, you need to go into with a battle. This is how we're going in. If they do this, we're going to counter this way, right? Here's the plan. And then when the facts on the ground change, the plan should morph with them, right? It should move with them. But if the facts on the on the ground don't change, you stick to the plan. Well, guess what I did? Guess guess mistake I made, and I've done it before. I didn't stick with the plan. Okay, so whole idea going into 2022 was we believed that energy was way undervalued. We believed there were a lot of big problems there, and for anybody who's listening to the show at the time, it was like a mantra: short tech, long energy. So that's the way we played it. And so it didn't have nearly as good a year. We did we made some other mistakes, but we were down about nine. Market was down 21. NASDAQ was down, you know, so we certainly outperformed, outperformed the previous year as well to the upside. So we had a good run there. But the plan all along, and I went into saying, look, I know that the FANG names, specifically Facebook, Amazon, uh, Microsoft, uh, Google, th- those are our four, um, especially those. They're monopolies. They're behemoths. We believe that the only real threat to them is legislative, meaning anti antitrust legislation. So our idea was we are going to hold on to those stocks during. We're going to trim them back to, to to smaller percentages for the year of 2022, and we are going to short tech, and we're going to stay long those names because we thought the overall index would do far worse than tech. So we thought to or than those companies, those top companies in tech, and so we thought it made a lot of sense to hold on to those. 
uh, and then short the index. Well, I think they actually went down a little. Anyway, it, it ended up being a profitable trade for us over the course of the year just because our short position was larger. Those names actually went down more consistently with the index than we thought they would. So there wasn't so much in our <clears throat> when you when, when that's a pairs trade, right? So you don't really care if the thing you're long is going down as long as the thing you're short is going down more. Then that means together they're still making money. But here was the deal. So Meta was getting annihilated. Clients were some of our clients were freaking out. And I didn't stick to the plan. The plan was to take the profits from the short and to feed those fang names. And and I made the plan ahead of time because I knew it'd feel crazy at the time because I knew that they'd probably be getting hit with the slowing economics that we were the slowing economy we were most likely to see in 2022 combined with the massive rate increases. Um yeah, we I mean we just we figured it all get hit. And so the idea was taking advantage of that because we think these companies are bulletproof, right? Just feed them the, the the profits from the deal. Well, I was all good with all that. And then the quarter from Facebook came out and they missed again. And Zuckerberg basically doubled down and said he wasn't going to quit spending on the metaverse. Stock got hit again. We bought it at like 120. So we unloaded it. We we'd we'd made a bunch of money on Facebook and unloaded it. I think at the end of 2020 or 2021, right before the deluge happened to it. Um, and I told you it was kind of fortuitous just because we knew they were going to spend all this money on the metaverse and everybody wasn't factoring that into the stock price. And we're like, well, shoot, I think when that spending comes out, like this company, like if they're going to spend 20 billion on the metaverse, it their, their stock valuation needs to show it. Now I didn't think they were going to drop as much as they did. But anyway, that's it. Have a great weekend. Got some, uh, no, we don't have any football this weekend. Anyway, uh, have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio, or excuse me, you're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.